What's good, Commanders family? Brian Corbett Jr. here, and this is the Next Man Up podcast. We talk to your favorite Commanders player. Not so much about X's and O's, but more about the man behind the helmet. And our Next Man Up is no other than our starting tight end, Logan Thomas. Logan talks to us about being from Virginia and staying close to home, about what losing his daughter did for him and his wife, and how he uses resilience to get through each and every day, and how he thrives in being a leader for this team and his family. All that and more starts right What's good, Commanders family? Brian Cooper Jr. here, and this is the Next Man Up podcast, where we talk to your favorite Commanders players, not so much about X's and O's, more about the man behind the mask. And our Next Man Up is no other than our leader, our tight end, Logan Thomas. Logan, how you doing, brother? Doing well, doing well. Happy to be here. Hey, man, I'm happy you're here, man. We're approaching the bye week, man, and you stopped with us right before you. Enjoy your little vacation, man. Do you have anything planned for the bye week? Any big things, or are you just trying to get back right? Uh, definitely get back right, but me and the wife are going to step out, go somewhere, uh, you know, be able to clear the mind a little bit and, uh, you know, hopefully have a little bit of fun, refresh, get back to it. Well, hopefully this is a good start to that, man. What we'd like to do on the next man up podcast is really take it all the way back. So I want to start in Lynchburg, Virginia. That's where you're from, right? That's correct. Talk about Lynchburg, Virginia and how that helped mold the man that we see here today. I think Lynchburg is a special place, especially to me. Uh, so I grew up in the city. Uh, my mom had a house out in the city. She worked a couple of jobs, so at nighttime, she would take me to my cousin's house, which is in the county. And that's how I ended up going to Brookville. Uh, so the city schools, E.C. Glass, didn't go there. went to the county school yeah. with my cousin. And it was one of those things is like the whole area kind of just, when you're an athlete from the area that uh, has an opportunity to play, you know, in college or have the opportunity to go pro like I have, the whole city just kind of grabs you and surrounds you and is like, you know what, this is our guy. Yeah. It doesn't matter what walk you're from. It doesn't matter if you're white, black, and different. Like, they they kind of surround you, and it's nothing but love when I go back. And, uh, you know, anytime I try to do anything there, people show up. Did that love play, in, like, play a role in you wanting to go to Virginia Tech and staying kind of close to where you're from? Is like, did that play a role in it, or was that just kind of random and just kind of happened? Yeah, uh, definitely. You know, I prayed about it. God led me to Virginia Tech, but at the same time, my family's an hour and a half. Yeah. That's how far Lynchburg is to Blacksburg. Uh, and I wanted to win, so that, that was that was a big help too. But, you know, just knowing that I'm going to have the support from people I've known for almost 20 years, that, that made a big difference as well. And uh, like I said, just thankful and blessed to have all the support that I have had over the years. Yeah, and your journey in Virginia Tech was very interesting because, if I'm not mistaken, in high school, you really mainly wore a wide receiver and a tight end, but then you go to Virginia Tech, and they say, hey, man, we want you throwing this ball. Man. We want to put the ball in your hands, man. You played quarterback. Talk about that transition from being a young man and saying, oh, man, we're about to hand you the keys to this entire offense. Yeah, it was crazy. Thankfully, I had a, an amazing leader in Tyrod Taylor. Uh, I got to see what he was about yeah. for two years, and then I got to take over. But, yeah, I mean, I played – receiver pretty much growing up my entire life and then my junior year midway through my junior year they popped me at quarterback in high school and when they recruited me they're like yeah h-back tight end i was like all right cool yeah and i just had his feeling i just knew <laughs> so the first day i walk on the campus they're like hey we're gonna put you at quarterback and i'm like all right that's fine so you know learning was uh just the speed of the game at quarterback is very different than it is in high school high school is kind of half field reads uh, just let your athletes be athletes right? yeah there's everybody's a good athlete and you really have to learn you know, how to conduct yourself not only on the field but off the field how is being in those QB rooms all that studying man all those plays how does that help you today now that you are a tight end how has that kind of helped you in your mental uh, I think playing quarterback just broadens your your thought process and 
your visuals to what else is out there. I think playing an individual position, you get pigeonholed a little bit, but playing quarterback, you, you don't have that ability to be pigeonholed. You have to see 22 people or 21 outside yeah. yourself. Uh, tight end, you got to see about five, maybe, I would say, on a, on a uh, play-to-play basis. But, like, using the knowledge that I had from quarterback made the transition to tight end and then playing it at a high level uh, just a little bit easier. Yeah, and then you get drafted by the Arizona Cardinals, right? Yeah. And you were there as a quarterback. Um, moved around a little bit. First four years in the league were yeah. not necessarily probably what you thought they would be. And then you get to Detroit. And yep. they say, you're going to be a tight end. Was that hard? Was that a hard pill to swallow at that point in your career saying, okay, I need to make a pivot in my career? In all honesty, no, not really. Uh, I was kind of tired of sitting on the couch anyway. <laughs> so when they gave me the opportunity, I was like, all right, cool, let's ride. Like, uh, I'm good. I'll put my full you know, foot forward. I got to provide for this family somehow. And so I got there. Spent 36 hours in that building, and then Buffalo claimed me and put me on the active roster, and that's really where it took off for me. And I'm just blessed to have the people around me that I did. They gave me the opportunity. They had the patience Yeah. because I was raw. I was as raw as it gets. I was I was heavy enough to play the position, but the body wasn't right. And so it took a little, you know, a year and a half, two years to get the body to where I want. Uh, and then it was just you know, the learning process of how to block, how to run the route, routes the correct way. And uh, But, yeah, the first – Three and a half years, three years of my career was it was a wild ride. Oh, man, I'm sure. And, like, you t- mentioned Tyrod Taylor. And I remember when he got into the league, they were trying to immediately make him a receiver, yeah. right? They didn't think he could play quarterback, thought he was too small, all that stuff. And he was very reluctant to make that change. And it seemed like it really was a hard, like, thing that he was dealing with. Is that what you dealt with those first three years? Like, did you have a reluctancy to go back to, like, your roots of receiver and tight end? Like, were you like, I'm going to make this quarterback thing work? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And then, Coming out into the draft, I had yeah. people say, like, if you slip past the fifth round, we're going to draft you as a tight end. And I was like, don't worry about it. Like, It's not happening. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> so Arizona drafted me in the fourth as a quarterback. Uh, but in my mind, I, the whole time I knew I, I had been given these God-given abilities to, you know, if I do make this transition, I have the opportunity to do so. And I felt comfortable catching the football. I felt comfortable running routes. It would just be learning the nuances of and the tougher points of, you know, blocking and being a, tie, a full complete tight end. Yeah, and then you go through all of this. You go through this transition, and then you end up signing with Washington. Yep. This was your favorite team growing up as a kid, right? It was. I, I grew up watching them every Sunday with my grandpa. Wow. Uh, you know, it was pretty much anything and everything Washington at that point. And, uh, so, like, getting back to Washington was the ultimate goal. I just didn't think it was going to happen the way it did. Yeah. And, uh, beyond blessed, beyond thankful to, to be in this building now. And when you got to come in this building for that first time as an actual player of your favorite team, man, what emotions, what feelings did you have being able to represent that W on your chest? Uh, it was one of those things where it was like it was a deep breath, uh, but I knew the work wasn't wasn't done. It was it was just the beginning because I, I wanted to be here. I wanted to make this place work. I wanted to be here for the rest of my career. And, you know, it's been great for my family. And, uh, you know, putting the W on, it was it was completely – it was different than what I thought it was going to be. You know, growing up, that was the ultimate goal. It was like, get to the league, get to, yeah. the, league, get to the league. And then it was one of those things was like, I really, I'm really here. Like, I'm really where I want to be, where I pictured myself being and uh, just beyond blessed and thankful. And uh, all the people I've met along the way that got me to where I'm at, uh, I, got a lot of, I got a lot of love and respect for them as well. And is it crazy being in the position you're in now? Because now you're, you're the veteran. You're the savvy veteran. You're the leader. You're a big part of this team with everything you've gone through. Like you said, you was on the couch at some times. And now you're the leader of this team. 
what is that like for you? Do you have these moments where I'm like, dang, I went through all this. Like, do you have those moments? Yeah, I know early on it was a whole lot more than it is now. Uh, now I just, just embrace my role, embody yeah. my role. Obviously, football is football. Like, that's, that tight end is my role there. But just being a person uh, off the field that the other 52 guys plus that we have uh, can count on, they got questions if they need anything, if they got ideas they want to bounce. They know that they can come to me. I'm going to give them the best answer I can give them. And if I don't got the answer, I can find it for them. And I take a lot of joy in that as well because, you know, I've lived a lot of life. I've seen a lot of things. And if I can do something early on in a guy's career that keeps them from making the mistakes that I made, that's what makes the difference for me. So I, I embrace that role off the field definitely of uh, of leader. And you do a great job at it. Like, you're not only a leader in here, but it feels like – throughout this whole area, the whole DMV, really, they see you as that and they herald you as that. Um, I want to take it back to last year. Um, we just got done with, uh, I think it's still going on, actually, the My Cause, My Cleats. And last year, you chose, like, for those who don't know, My Cause, My Cleats, you're allowed to represent a certain thing that means something to you outside the field. A lot of times it's a charity and things like that. Last season, you chose a specific charity. Can you tell us what that was and why you chose that? Yeah, I chose the Tiny Miracles Foundation. Yeah. And, uh, so my wife and I, we, we miscarried in Buffalo in 2017 uh, with a little girl. Uh, her name's Brooklyn Rose. Yeah. Uh, 16 weeks, everything felt normal prior. And not really sure what happened. There wasn't a diagnosis that gave it away. Just uh, just stop, stop beating. And, and so we miscarried. Uh, during that time, it was a tough time. Yeah. And one of those things that people don't know is that Nobody really talks about miscarriage at all. And it no. happens so frequently, but people keep all that pent up inside and, and bury it. And honestly, for me, it wasn't healthy for my wife. Being able to talk about it has been very healthy for her and talking to people that have gone through it as well. It's, it's been, it's been amazing what you receive back from just speaking your truth. And, yeah. uh, you know, for us, obviously tough times, but without that, we wouldn't have our youngest son, Devin and talk about a miracle. That's, that was a he's he's an amazing kid. He's he's a blast. But there's not a day that goes by. There's not a Sunday that, you know, if you see me run out, I go straight to the bench, say my prayer, tell her hello. And you know, it's just one of those things where, if you can take what we lost, uh, and if we can broadcast that to other people that are going through it, and let them know that they're not alone, because, you know, you see us, we're gladiators, we're warriors, we're yeah. whatever. But at the same time, we're people as well. We go through things too, and. Uh, you know, if you can, if you want to have a conversation, I'm all for the conversation. And when you have those conversations, what is the advice you tend to give when people are asking you, like, listen, we just went through this ourselves. How did you cope? Like, what is the kind of advice you give to people to help them get through that time? The first thing I say, it's not easy. And it's a process. It's not something that you're going to wake up one day and it's just going to be gone, right? Like, it's something that you're going to build on. And it's okay to have the conversation because when you speak about it, it puts it, it's, you're not forgetting the person that you lost. You're not forgetting your child that yeah. you lost. And uh, I think it, it matters just to have those conversations. And I, I just tell, try to tell people like, just stay up. Like there, there's brighter days ahead. Like, yeah, you're gonna have to build on it every day. Every day is going to be as different uh, learning curve. Everybody's going to, every day is going to be a different process. But if you can use it just to better yourself, because you're not going to be the last person that it happens to. Yeah. And you're not going to be the last person that you know that it happens to. So you got to use your platform, whether you have one or not, you're going to hear somebody that had one and you can speak to them and let them know, guess what? Brighter days are ahead too. 
If you can bring that joy just a little bit to them, it makes it easier. So great to hear you talk about it so calmly because, I mean, I know that something like that couldn't have been easy while you were dealing with it. You said it was back in Buffalo. You're going through your own career transition. You're already a parent. You're a husband. You're the patriarch of your household. How were you able to deal with those feelings? Because a lot of times as men, like you said, we, we big men, we gladiators, right? Like we're not always allowed to be vulnerable. How did you find your area and your safe space to be vulnerable? Um, you know, I think for me, I've always been able to just brush things off just because that's kind of our job. Yeah. Uh, but being able to confide in my wife, because I know that she was going through the same thing. Obviously, it hits women, I think, sometimes different than it hits men. For sure. Their body, like, obviously, I get all that. But throughout our whole relationship, we've always been able to bounce things off of each other. And um, so definitely that. And then I've had a lot of good men along the way. Uh, in Buffalo at the time, I had a lot of good people. Yeah. Uh, the Hydes, Michael Hyde and his wife, they were amazing to us. Uh, Jerry Hughes, when he was there, they were amazing to us. And, you know, it was just, you know, those people have your back. You can bounce stuff off of them. But at the end of the day, when you're in your lowest, you always have those people to grab you and pick you up off your feet or to your feet and, uh, and show you love. And, you know, if you can do that for somebody else, that's really what matters. Man, that's awesome to hear. Thank you for sharing that. And like I said, you're a father of five sons, yep. five boys. I have a son. How rewarding is it? To be a, a, a boy dad. We always hear about yeah. girl dads, but how yeah. rewarding is it to be a boy dad and have these young men look at you the way they look at you? I definitely think, obviously, very different. Boy dad, yes. girl dad, very yes. different. Uh, my wife always wanted a girl. Like, yeah, obviously, the women want, it, want yeah. a little girl. But being able to come home after a game, and my oldest, 15, understands football, and he, you know, he talks to me about certain plays or certain yeah. things that happen. <laughs> that's the thing that's rewarding, though, is like, He's being able to see what I do for a living. He sees what I do when I'm at the facility, when I come home, how I, I take care of myself or how I eat or how I respect the other people in the area or and especially my wife. And when I come home, I try to put a smile on my face yeah. no matter what's going on because <laughs> he's got to see that for when he's a, a grown man. He's got a family of his own, right? Uh, so for us, it's like just be you. Be the best version of you you can because they're always watching. Like, whatever you do, they are watching. <laughs> and they're going to remember as well. No, no doubt. And they won't let you forget. <laughs> <laughs> they won't. And you have, you said you have a 15-year-old and what are the other ages? I got a 15, 14, 13, 7, and 5. You just listed it off. Seven. Yeah. Those are some fun years. Now, I know a lot of times, especially with boys, right? I mean, even probably us with our dads, right? Like, you don't realize how cool your dad really is, right? Oh, yeah. Do yeah. your boys, other than your 15-year-olds, y'all talking football, do your other boys realize, like, my dad's a star tight end in the NFL. Do they realize that yet? The older three understand it. I don't know. They just see dad, right? Like <laughs> right, they see, right. They see the same goofy, dumb guy that comes home and is cracking jokes. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Just being, just being, you know, just trying to make a smile come on their face. My seven-year-old, he's starting to figure it out. Like, he's, like, going to school and he was like, yeah, my dad plays football for a living there, and all the other kids react Freaking in a different out. way, right? Like, <laughs> you know, my dad's an accountant. My dad does this. Like, he's starting to piece it together. He's like, oh, okay. So this is different. Like, this is not normal. Five-year-old, yeah, five-year-old, five-year-old. He's just running <laughs> he's around. He's just running around. Yeah, he's just out there. <laughs> so it is cool to see them start to understand. And then, like, during training camp, when they get to come and be around the guys working, I think that's really cool for them, too. And you're setting a great example for them. And you had, like, a viral moment this year in Seattle yeah, did, with D yeah. DK Metcalf. You come up there and you tell him, you know, hey, man, I just want to let you know my son's a big fan of yours. You know, and that's all you – I don't think you expected anything other yeah. than to just give him yeah. his love like that. And he takes his jersey off and says, this is for your son. 
What was that moment like for you as a father? And I mean, you guys were just competing on the field. No what was that moment like for you? First off, I got a lot of respect for him for even doing that, uh, for that to come across his mind. And uh, for me, it was it was very rewarding for me, but I know for my son it meant a lot as well. And as soon as he got it home, framed it, put it up in the room. Uh, so it's really cool that he even had that. But for me, uh, you know, I think it just shows who these people are underneath the helmet, uh, underneath uh, the jersey, the pads, and we're, we're real people. Yeah. We have – we have things that we care about outside of football, too. and um, So, yeah, like I said, it's just really cool for him to do that. What does your son say to you when you come home, you bring that jersey? I'm sure you showed him the video, or he's seen it himself. He's old yeah. enough to probably have his yeah. own social media. What was that conversation like when you brought him this jersey? So, first off, I had no clue that he was mic'd up, so I knew I had no <laughs> oh, wow. idea that any of this was going to, you know, you know, come to fruition. And so, like, I gave it, or I showed it to him. He was like, oh, that's cool. You jersey swapped with DK? I was like, nah, man, like, Read it. Like, read it. <laughs> read it what has, it says. It has your name on it. It's not for me. Like, <laughs> you're the one who always talks about him. You're the one who wears 14 because of him. Like, wow. his school colors are red, white, and blue, like old Mrs. colors. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. I was like, this is for you, man. I got this for you. Not that I asked for it, but, you know, <laughs> I was like, I think, I think it's really cool that he even did that. And so it's something that he'll remember, I'll remember for, you know, until, until I'm gone. That's awesome, man. And then, like you said, your 15 year old boy's playing football. He's in there going through the same things you were going through as a young man, man. What is it like being on that side of it? You know, you lived it. You've been here. You made it to the promised land. Now you get to watch somebody else that has dreams and aspirations. What's that like? I think it's cool because I'm watching a kid that doesn't know what he has yet. Wow. Wow. He's 15, but he has no idea what that body that he has can do. And he had a good season this year, seven touchdowns. Uh, He just doesn't – he doesn't know, like – the specimen that he is. I mean, the size, the speed that he has, and he's still learning football. Like he, he's he's figuring it out on the run. And as a dad, like, I try to, after every game or practice that I watch, and like, I just try to give a little tidbit, but I try not to, you know, choke him out with it because yeah. obviously you don't want to turn him away from it. And it's just really cool watching him blossom into the kid that he is. Now he's got two younger brothers that are just underneath him that are going to be pushing him the entire yeah. way. Yeah. That's really cool too, man, just – the 13 year old, he's he's blessed beyond belief. The 14 year old's got the size and the length, so uh, it's cool to see them push push each other. Uh, it's just my job to keep them confined, keep that box tight, make sure they don't try to you know stray outside of it. Well, they clearly got a good leader and a good role model, and you've been a great leader for this team. Very young quarterback in Sam Howell, first year as a full time starter, and you called him a baller. Talk about Sam a little bit and what you've seen through his progression through this first season as a starter and how you've helped him. I think first things first is his toughness. Yeah, I, I think that is something that not everybody talks about. Probably people don't see it, don't care about it, or anything like that because it's football. Everybody's tough, right? But uh, the shots that he's taken, he's got up. The throws that he's made while being hit, the runs that he's made, yeah. being hit by two, three people, breaking it off, scoring. And the thing is, he gets up and doesn't say a word. He just trots off, gets ready to do it again. Yeah. Um, he can make every throw. He can he can make easy things. He can make look even easier than they are. He can make hard things look easy. Uh, he he's got great ball placement. He's got velocity. It's, he's got every tool you could possibly want. And earlier in the season, he'll tell you that you know he was holding on the ball too long, not finding the right lanes to get out and escape. Now he's getting the ball out, staying on schedule. So he's just uh, he's everything you want a technical rookie quarterback to be, right? 
but he's he's going to explode, and he has been throughout the season. And what helps is having somebody like you, man. And you've been through all this, right? You set these goals and you accomplish these goals. Now you're a veteran. You got the money now. You got the position. You know, you're a leader. What is your goals now? Yeah, for me, it's all about winning uh, and, and, and encouraging my teammates to be the best version of themselves. It's no different than how I treat my kids yeah. and, and, you know, building them up. At the same time, like, I've gone through all of it. I, I've made all the mistakes. I've done all the dumb things that you don't want to do, right? And so – I just try to pour that experience onto them. And, you know, you know, the last couple of weeks haven't been great for us. Yeah. Uh, it's not my first time going through it. Right. And so I'm able to preach and, and, and stand on my soapbox and tell them, like, look, man, this isn't the end of the world. We got a lot to play for. We got personal goals to do. We got things that we want to do next year. And it's still building blocks at the end of the day. Yeah, well, I'm going to put you back on your soapbox before I let you go because it is the bye week, man. I got to let my guy get off to those five kids. That's your ISO camera right there, man. Look at that camera and talk to the Commanders fans and explain to them what you guys need from them at this back stretch of the season. Commanders fans, we just need you all to show up, be loud, and show support. Um, we feel you guys when you're in the stands. It makes a huge difference. You know, when we see all that burgundy and gold running around out there, it, uh, it definitely makes a difference. So please show up. Don't lose faith. Yeah, we've had a rough season, but we got to have y'all show up. Logan, man, we appreciate your time so much, man. A true leader, man, a great father. And I have no doubt your boys, man, have a great person to look up to, man. So we really appreciate your time. Commander's family, this is the Next Man Up podcast. And our next man up is no other than Logan Thomas, brother. Enjoy your bye week, man. I can't wait to see what you do the rest of the season. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. I got Love podcast, but we have a lot more for you on the Commanders Podcast Network. That's right, we have the Command Center Podcast with Logan Paulson, Fred Smoot, and Santana Moss. It's like hanging out with your best friends, but you're talking all Commanders football. Then we have the Players Club with legends London Fletcher and Santana Moss, and they sit with your favorite Commanders players, and they talk football in a way that only those who played the game could. Then, of course, we have the Get Loud Podcast with Mike Jenkins and Fred Smoot doing what they do best, getting loud. That show is a lot of fun, and then, of of course, we have the Next Man Up podcast. We'll be back next Tuesday with another one of your favorite Commanders players. All that and more can be found on the Commanders Podcast Network, streaming wherever you get your podcasts, or you can watch us on the Commanders YouTube page.